I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Varvet International is brought to you in cooperation with Stutterheim Raincoats, Swedish melancholy at its driest. I've seen a glimpse of one of their upcoming jackets for 2015 and it's mind-blowingly cool. You can keep up with Stutterheim with their newsletter so you'll be among the first to know when new products are released. So surf on to stutterheim.com and sign up for that. And while at it, why don't you buy a raincoat? Now, let the show begin. I'm interested in having a really intensely creative collaboration. I'm always looking for opportunities to be creative. That's my main, that's my drug. This is Christopher Chumpf saying welcome to the 17th episode of Varvet International. When I'm recording this, it's Christmas Eve, but I just learned that Jesus probably was born in March or something, and that they chose December 25th for reasons of convenience, that this already was a pagan celebration time. Maybe they didn't want the shops to be closed more than necessary, or something. Never mind, let's talk about this week's guest instead. As you might know, the TV hit The Office is a British invention created by Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais. And even though that aired here in Sweden, it was brilliant and a huge success and so forth, etc. I must confess that my heart belongs to the American version of the series, the one with Steve Carell in the leading role. And one of the more eccentric characters in that show was that of Jan Levinson, played by Melora Hardin. She was Steve Carell's boss. Uh, she was uh, very, very special and fantastic. And even if I might have seen Melora in other films and TV series before that, after all, she's been working since she was a child in the 70s and she's credited in more than 100 titles on IMDb. The Office was when I took it to my heart. And now, when 2014 is about to end, the critics sum up the year and they seem to agree that the new TV series, Transparent, belongs in the top tier. I'd like to name it the TV series of the decade, at least. It's uh, such a beautiful, heartwarming story about a father, played by Jeffrey Tambor, who in his 70s comes out as transgender to his grown-up children. Melora Hardin has a fantastic role in this. She plays Tammy, who cheats on her husband with the oldest daughter of Jam- uh, Jeffrey's um, character. So, who is Melora Hardin? Well, I hope we're about to find out, but I can tell you this. She was born in June 1967 in Houston, Texas, and both her parents were in show business. She started working really early on. We'll get to that very soon. 
She has also had roles in several movies, but she doesn't only act. She sings, dances, and has also directed and produced a movie. And in short, there's a lot to talk about uh, with her. And I met her a few weeks ago in a hotel in Pasadena. It was a fabulous afternoon, and now I can't wait to share it with you. So let's roll the tape, shall we? I don't know how we ended up here, but I'm curious about, because we talked about how much you have worked to look this healthy. Mm. You look fantastic. I was talking about with a friend about this. No, not the friend, uh, another guest (laughs) on the podcast that the fact that women in show business, he had done like a head count, Mm -hmm. skinny ladies Mm -hmm. versus unskinny ladies Uh and the skinny ladies won with like 98 to 2 or something like that 98 skinny to 2 heavy yeah Uh exactly okay and that made me think do you feel that you have to make like sacrifice to be able to work in show business i mean isn't life somewhat like that if you want to have a certain quality of life then you have to live a certain kind of life you know it's i think it goes hand in hand you know, my passion is performing and being in front of a camera and writing and dancing and singing and have the energy to be able to do all of that and, you know, potentially do that eight times a week like I did when I was on Broadway and to be able to get up at 5 a.m. and go to sleep at, you know, 2 a.m. And if I if that's what I want to do because that's my passion, then I have to feel good. I have to treat my body well. I have to respect the fact that my body is my tool. And therefore, it's not really for me just about looking good. I mean, that's nice. That's a nice, that's a nice like thing that comes along with it. But really, I think it's more about feeling good, feeling good and feeling like I have all my capacities to be able to achieve what I want to achieve. I need to stay young for a really long time. And I also was had the benefit of having grandparents until I was like 35 years old or no older than that, more like 37, 38 and that 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 says a lot because you're around you know people that are in their 80s and 90s and you get to see how the missteps that people made along the way where they might have just continued to smoke or continued to drink or continued to treat themselves not so well and get fat and be less mobile and or how they didn't do that and how that affects their quality of life later i i plan on living to be very old so i've got lot of life ahead of me i need to be healthy for a long time (laughs) i heard that uh, i heard it was like maybe a year or two ago that the the first person to be 150 years old is already born yes i heard that too that's very cool yeah i mean i have a great uncle who lived to be 104 yeah a great uncle and a great aunt who lived to be 102 that's amazing and every all my grandparents lived to be 96 97 Actually, my mom was talking to her doctor about that, and she, the doctor said, not only is that going to affect your children, me and my brother, in their longevity, but your grandkids are going to be, it's going to be like crazy. So I'm trying to train them now to, you know, start start now thinking about it. I, I mean, I guess I'm fortunate in the sense that I started acting when I was six years old. I was dancing by the time I was five. I started writing songs when I was two. I've just always had this trajectory in mind. And so I've been really focused and driven to do this. And um, it requires, you know, 
certain discipline for that, and when that's did, okay with me. <laughs> when did you have a pizza last time? Oh, I still eat pizza sometimes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I just can't. You just can't do that every day. You know, I can do it. I think I made one at home for the kids, and I had I had a piece, and they had you know like two or three pieces. If you make it at home, it's a little healthier because you can make it on you know rice flour dough. You can make it with organic cheese. You can make it you know yeah. So you know, but I still I I'm not I'm not the kind of mom who sends carrots to birthday parties. I I I do allow for, but I just try to be smart. You know, like. It's just everything's so available nowadays, you know? And I said that to my kids the other day. I said, because my youngest daughter was really into the show called Little House on the Prairie. Was that over in Sweden? Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. So she just was so into it and um, watching all of the episodes. And one of the things that they show on Little House on the Prairie is how on a Friday, the kids go to the sweet shop and they have like a nickel and they get two pieces of candy. But nowadays, you know, there's just candy and confections and pastries and sweets and muffins and all around all the time. And it's not like us. And people that back then made their own bread. So it didn't have sugar in it. It didn't have. And I just feel like I just wish people were a little more mindful about about that, because it's just the options are just too many, too many options. So you really do have to you have to like just push things aside and just, you know, it's okay to have sweets, but it needs to be special. And also I love something else too about this um, hunter gatherer thing. Like we are, we are hunter gatherers, right? Human, the human race. And so in primitive times, we would go long periods of time with no food. And, and then we would sprint and kill and make a kill and then eat it for, we would feast on it. We would just, feast on it and devour it. And then we would go for another long period of time. But we also would only eat berries when berries came in season. And, you know, and so I think that's another thing. Like we don't eat like that. We're not, we don't eat like fast and feast, feast and famine or, or fasting and feasting. You know, we eat like feasting all the time, feasting every meal, three times a day, (laughs) feasting 365 days a year. So I don't know. I just try sometimes I, I, I sometimes have to remind myself like it's okay to be hungry. Like that's not a bad thing to be a little bit hungry. Cause you know, I think we've been trained like, oh my god, I'm I'm starving. You know, you're I say that all the time. I'm starving. I'm not starving. I'm just a little bit hungry. So that's okay. <laughs> is is the five two diet, is that a big thing here as well? What's that? I don't know. That, that you like eat Five hundred calories uh, for two days in the week, and then oh. f- and then two thousand the rest of the days. Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard it, but I bet it is. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not up on all those those fad fatty things, but that sounds awesome. Okay, that sounds like a really yeah. good. I like that. How do you work out? I'm a dancer, so I dance. Yeah. I take um, dance class a couple times a week, and I do Pilates mat classes and. Sometimes I work out with trainers, you know, but I have my I have my like TV weight and I have my my real life weight. It's usually that usually when I'm working, I'll go down about five pounds. Okay, five to eight pounds less than what I normally am, like than what I am right now, just because it looks better on television. It oh. adds about ten pounds to you. So, <laughs> are you filming now? I'm not right now. Okay, no. But when We're, will you? But when I do, that's what I do. Because you have the transparent haircut. Yes, yeah. yes, I do. Yes. Well, we just finished about a month ago, but it's now streaming on Amazon Prime. Does it stream there in in Sweden also on Amazon Prime? Let's say so. Mm-hmm. Maybe I. Do you guys get Amazon Prime there? No. Oh, okay. So maybe I had to uh, do something illegal to watch <laughs> to it. See it. <laughs> 
That's okay. I didn't. No, I didn't. I saw it. Of course it. you didn't. No, I didn't. No, of course not. It was super legal. Yeah. Super legal. That's yeah. what I, I like. I don't just like legal. I like super legal. Yeah, that's uh, how I try to roll <laughs> when it comes to this. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. No, but anyway. Did you see all 10 episodes? Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Isn't it great? It's fantastic. It's a great show. Do you love it as well? I love it. I love it. I would say out of everything I've done in my whole career, it probably is one of the, I mean, even though it's on Amazon Prime, we'll call it TV, right? But of the television things I've done, I would say it's probably the most to my own Melora Harden personal taste. It's just very smart. It's funny. It's heartwarming. There's love just infused all over it. It's artfully done in all aspects, the writing, the directing, the set design, the costume design, the lighting, the DP, you know, it's just all so, the acting, it's just so wonderfully. The level of, that was something I just kept looking around when we were on set thinking like the level of sort of artful expertise is just so high on yeah. the set in every department. Really, really. And then just the people too, or just, and sort of what they're all trying to put into it through their own specific medium is really, really quite, was quite remarkable. It's so fantastic with, with all the characters uh, as well. It's hard to like anyone and, <laughs> and still you love everybody mm. in it. Right. And your character is, I mean, she, it will be super interesting to, to see what happens to her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. She's Do pretty, you know? I don't know yet. No. Okay. No. <laughs> So when are you starting working with the season two? Well, it seems like it's going to be summer. It seems like it'll be summer of 2015. Okay. Yeah. Kind of a lot, lot long time to wait. Yes. It's a little too long to wait. <laughs> I know if everyone's saying to me, it's just not enough. We need more, more episodes. It's too fast. I think I watched the whole thing in three days and a lot, most people I know did the same thing. So yeah. you definitely want more, but then you take a month or so off and then go back and watch it all again. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea. Different things reveal themselves in yeah. the second go-around. I'm going to do that. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> But how did you get that job? You know, it's interesting. It was one of the... It's, it's funny because I just said to my husband like a month before, God, I hope I get something soon where they just ask me to cut all my hair off. <laughs> I just... I was so ready to get rid of my hair. Oh my God, I was just so sick of it. So that was interesting. But that that wasn't how I got the part. But, um, you know... it came through my agent and my manager. They sent it to me and said, they want to see you for this. And I read the script. I watched Jill's movie, Afternoon Delight, that she had done. And I, as soon as I watched her movie, I really thought, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need to work with this person. So that was really a big instigator for me. And I also just felt like I, I could get inside this character. Like I just felt like I, I know this person. I know how to I know who this person is. I can be this person. So, and then we, you know, we had a, a chemistry read with me and Amy and I read with first with Jill and then, and then Amy and I had a, a chemistry read and that went great. And it just seemed, it was sort of like obvious. It seemed right. And it was, it was right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, it is fantastic. You were fantastic in it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. But how how do you prepare for a role like that? It's funny, you know, at the premiere party that we had where we did a screening of it, I had so many people say, I can't believe that's you and this is you. Like, this is you and that's you. How is that? You know, how does that work? And 
I didn't even recognize you. And then six straight women come up to me and say, you are so hot. I'm straight, but I want to have sex with you. <laughs> Which I took as a very big compliment. And then a, a lot of, a couple gay women also said to me, you're really, I know you're straight, but you, you've got it. Like you nailed that. <laughs> so I was very happy yeah, that, that across the board, they were, yeah. uh, they were satisfied. But I, I think that, you know, like so many of my characters, it's just, it really comes from being able to land in a place in my physicality that is that person. If I feel that I can find them in my body, then I really can, it all just sort of happens, you know? So for me, it's very important, like the, um, you know, the clothes and the the look, the, the, the haircut and the, and the, the outfits. And I mean, it was really a really fun and lengthy and creative experience working with our costume designer. And when I, even when I went in to read with, um, with Jill and with Amy, you know, I, I really wanted the character to have tattoos. So I, I got these tattoos that are like those transfer tattoos and I put those on and, you know, it just, all that stuff is really important to me and that helps me become her. So that if I'm walking by a window or by a mirror and I happen to catch myself, a glance of myself, I can say, oh, right, right, right. That's, that's who I am. So when I see myself, or if I forget, or if I just, for a minute I just can't find a moment, I'm just a little lost. Like, wait, what? How would she do this? Not how would Melora do this? But and um, if I just look at myself, it's all right there. I don't even need to, you know. I just go, oh, right, like that. Do you have to like sort of find the, a new walk and so forth? I mean, she has a different walk than I do for sure. Yeah, that's part of finding her in my body. Yeah. That's kind of what I mean. Yeah. How she moves, how she how she, you know, how she makes love, how she has sex, how she talks, what kind of does she, you know, yeah, I'm kind of very, I'm very like, I'm weirdly inside out and outside in, in the way that I work with my characters. Um, so she's, yeah, very important. Her whole body, my body thing with Tammy is very important. When I'm doing her, I have to be, I have to just ground myself a certain way, you know, and I kind of feel like, I mean, to be really honest, I feel like I've got balls. Like <laughs> when I'm playing Tammy, that yeah. really helps me just yeah. to feel like, yeah, I'm like, I'm the shit. Like I got, I got it all. You know, she's, she feel. I think she feels like she's she's got some serious balls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, not literally, but I think she yeah. lit- she feels that feels that way to me anyway. Being her, I think she might have some kind of ADD or something. <laughs> Have, has she? You think she has ADD? Yeah, yeah has she? Oh, that's so funny. Has she checked that? <laughs> you should. Can you why tell you th- her that? Why do you think she has ADD? Well, I'm not sure, but how it's... does that show up? <laughs> when she started renovating the house, it just felt <laughs> obvious to me that she is. Well, I don't know. I might be wrong here. You know what? It really is like with my songs or anything. I, I sort of leave it up to others to yeah. have their own um, interpretation of whatever. Mm. And if that's how you see her, then that's awesome. <laughs> Speaking of your songs, I missed uh, asking you something about that. You said that you were going to make a record and a solo. Uh... Yeah, some kind of a performance show. Okay. Um, yeah, that how will be mute. That will have music. Will be involved in that. How far have you gone? Uh, well, oh, I've only been working on it for about 15 years. <laughs> I'm actually not really kidding. But, you know, it's 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 going to just I'm going to sort of let it evolve and hopefully be able to 
have something to kind of start showing people sometime early next year. That's my plan. But I also, you know, I've been reading this book, The Lean Startup, and it's all about letting things grow kind of in front of your audience rather than trying to perfect them in your own head, which has been a bit of a problem. Thus, the 15-year mark that I'm now at, (laughs) just sort of taking the risk to let it be whatever it is and then start shaping it based on the interaction that you're having with your audience, with your fans, which I really love. I mean, there's nothing that I love more in life than collaborating with people. So why not collaborate with my audience on, you know, letting something shape up based on you can feel in a room when things are landing, when they're not landing, when they're moving people, when they're making them laugh or cry. or So, yeah, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to employ a little bit of the lean startup advice and try to get it on its feet at, at whatever, wherever it is, and then we'll see. <laughs> we'll let it start to grow. But isn't that how stand-up comedians tend to work, sort of, that they maybe they have an idea uh-huh. and they just go out and try it? Mm. And if it fails, it fails, and then they know they have to like sort of rework it or something. Right. But they test material in sure. front of audiences because they need the audience to do, do that. You just have to have the audience. It's so true. I'm not a stand-up comedian, but yes, I think yeah. I think you're right. And it's really important for any kind of performance. You know, you can be a star in your own living room, right? But you need you need them. You need each other. They need you and you need them. <laughs> it's a nice little simpatico relationship that way. <laughs> when I do my interviews, I tend to go way back. And so, what can you tell me about your birth? I don't know that much. I know I was born in Texas, Houston, Texas, and that my mom had to have me all by herself in the room because in Texas, they didn't let the husband in the room. So she had had my brother, who's five years older than me, in New York, where they were a little more liberal, a little more forward thinking. And they, my dad was there for all of his birth. But my mom, she had to be in that room all by herself laboring through this with no support. And um, the nurse came in and said, checked on her. I'm just checking on you. How are you doing? Do you need anything? And my mom said, yes, your hand. Yeah. So that was, I think that was, you know, she and I worked it out and she got me out, got me here. Thank God for that. And then she also ran into another thing, which is that she, um, you know, wanted to breastfeed me. And the doctor said, what are you, bovine? You know, so that wasn't great either. So not a lot of support there. What is bovine? Uh, Cow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, (laughs) so, you know, that was just not cool. So uh, she did breastfeed me for about six weeks. But I guess, see, and I'm like an avid, you know, breastfeeding mother. You know, I breastfed both my kids for two and a half years, both each, you know. And I mean, of course, they were eating food, too. But I just, you know, and in countries where they do commonly breastfeed their kids, there's like their rate of breast cancer is zero to none. You know, it's very low, much, much lower than than the countries where people have issues about it and don't do it as much as readily. Okay. So, I mean, I... I sort of feel very strongly like, you know, it's put there for a reason, right? It's not just there to look pretty. It actually has a reason that's like there's plumbing there involved and it's meant to do something. So why not do it? You know, that's how I felt about it. But, you know, I'm just one of those people that I want to do everything. I want to do everything I can do. I mean, I had two home births also and, you know, everyone was like, why would you do that? Because I want to feel a baby come through me into this world. I don't want to... I don't want to be numb for that. I don't care if it's hard or if it hurts. I don't, I want to experience it because I probably only have, well, I've only two times to do that. And that's kind of extraordinary. So 
that's just how I am. I'm, I don't know. I just don't want to miss out. <laughs> can, can you describe the, the pain? Very intense, I would say. It's, it's more like um, pressure, you know, like more like pressure and intensity. But one of the things my midwife was so aptly said to me when I was in the throes of like the hardest labor was, I think I turned to her and I said, are you sure I'm going to get a baby out of this? <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, you're going to get a baby. And I think that was the thing was just we're so socialized to run away from discomfort. But it's a different kind of discomfort because it's not like you're laying there bleeding on the sidewalk and you're dying. You're actually working for something. And that in the end of going through that discomfort, you get to have a child in your arms. So to me, it was worth, and they, you know, they don't call it labor for nothing. It is labor, it's work. And your body's totally prepared to do it. It's just you have to give into it and work hard for it. And, and my husband even said, why do you think... God or the universe or nature or whatever made it so that it was that hard to bring a baby to the world, you know, because he was basically just sitting there holding my hand and doing the best he can. But as a man, what can you really do? You just can support your wife, you know. But And I said, I think it's because it's so incredibly sobering. And I actually feel sort of sorry for women that don't want to have that sobering experience because You know, I remember feeling with my first daughter so overwhelmed when she was, you know, a week or two old that if I put her down and walked away, that would be it. Like, there's nothing. She can't do a thing without me. And um, there's something really extraordinary about that. And I think that it just makes it a little more real, a little more like, this is not just an accessory to your life. This is a real responsibility and it's a, a human life that you're completely responsible for until you're not, you know? And so I don't know. I just, in a way it seems perfect that it would be that hard and that it would be that difficult to, to have a baby. And I guess I wouldn't want to miss out on that. And my mom was, you know, my mom was trying to have natural birth with me too. And you know, all that, and just didn't have the support for it. But nowadays people can find lots of support for that stuff, which is really awesome. I envy you now. I wanna, you do? You want to yeah, be a woman? Yeah, I want to give birth as well. It <laughs> it's, sounds... pretty, it's pretty amazing, I have to say. I, I definitely, I have, I have friends who are like, oh, I would rather be a man than a woman. I'm like, really? Not me. I, I really love being a woman. And I've always, and to me, that's one of the most beautiful things about being a woman is that I am able to do that. That's really crazy. Yeah, I love every minute of that. And, you know, there's things about it that I just... There probably are one. Uh, there are wonderful things about being a man. I love men. They're they're awesome. <laughs> but, but I just wouldn't want to be one. At least in this lifetime. Maybe maybe reincarnation is real. Maybe I'll come back as a man or some other thing some other time. Who knows? Do you believe in that? I don't really know. I mean, I, I believe in a lot of things. You know, I'm. I mean, I'm pretty kind of open to my beliefs are kind of ever shifting and morphing, and I don't feel a real decided or stuck on one way of thinking about about a lot of that stuff did you have like a, a religious upbringing at all? not really not religious i mean i we went to church i was raised episcopalian we went to church sometimes but not re, not um regularly so i don't think i don't think i would say religious no i wouldn't say religious i think My mother was into us going to church when when we were younger. I did some Sunday school. 
but you know, I think I asked, I think a Sunday school teacher told me that she'd never, ever been in a fight with her brother. And I was like six years old or seven years old. And I said, and I came out and I said to my mom, that Sunday school teacher is lying. She said she's never had a fight with her brother ever. And I knew because I had fights with my brother all the time. <laughs> and I thought, I don't, I don't want it going back to Sunday school. I don't like that. Mm. You know, I knew that she was lying and I didn't like it. What's that thing called? The bar mitzvah thing, but mm-hmm. for Christians? Oh, people? right. Like, um, yeah, the Catholics do that. You're talking about like a confirmation. Yeah, confirmation. That's a Catholic thing. Yeah, we do it mm-hmm. as well. We're Protestants. Oh, the Protestants do that. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. But you... No, no, I never did that. Uh-uh. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, so that's what you know about your birth. <laughs> that's what I know about my birth. Yep. And you were sort of born into show business. And mm-hmm. Yes, I would say that that's true. <laughs> but how has that affected you? I mean, your parents were actors mm-hmm. and you're an actor. Did you ever think about anything else? I did. I did. But I, I think I, I mean, for whatever reason, you know, like let's say we do choose our family then, you know, then the my little soul was looking for a family like mine. Because when I was five years old, my mom took me to see a ballet. And I was I wanted to take ballet. And I started taking ballet at five. And I took ballet twice a week. And then I was taking it three times a week. And then I was taking it every day. And then, you know, so I think most performance things that I saw, and music, you know, we listened to Joan Baez around the house, my parents loved Joan Baez, and they loved you know, classical music and were they Renaissance music. Yeah, I think yeah, they were kind of okay. hippies, yeah. yeah. And um, so, you know, I I just, I wanted to do all that. I mean, I remember listening to Judy Garland records and Barbara Streisand records and imitating them and pretending I was in the spotlight and standing up. And my grandfather tells a story about me, you know, um, I stayed with them for a few months in one summer when my parents were doing regional theater around And I think I was five years old, and he would take me on Grandpa Days, like Wednesdays, to the theater we'd go to see. And he tells one story about going to see That's Entertainment, and we got there early, and it was in North Carolina, and nobody was there yet. And it was this red curtain, and there was a spotlight, and they were playing, I think they were playing like the overture for That's Entertainment on the you know speakers. And I went down to the front, and I stood in that spotlight, and I danced and danced, and people started filing in, and I just kept dancing, and you know, just as if, you know, I was on stage and who knows, you know, on Broadway or something. And, and then, you know, when the lights went down and the curtain came up and all the people applauded and I curtsied, you know, so I just think it's been, it's just, it's just, I, I, I feel so fortunate and grateful. I know there are people that never find their passion. Exactly. And I just had a passion from the time I was Two years old, my mom said I wrote my first song when I was two. I sat in the window of my parents' house and played my brother's guitar until I had a huge blood blister on my finger, and I just kept playing and playing. I was two years old, and I was just making up this song, this little rambling. I remember it. It's called Coffin Genie, and it was like this terrible little, you know, but I mean, if you think about a two-year-old going like, Coffin Genie sits by the window. She's so sick. She cough, cough, coughs, you know, she's, and it was just this rambling thing about this girl named Genie who was sick, and I just, <laughs> just went on and on and on, and um, so who knows, you know, but I did, I went to college, you know, I went to Sarah Lawrence College, and when I was there, I had fantasies of, you know, I thought, oh, well, you know, what if I did do something else? What, what, if, what would I do if I did something else? And I went to college because I didn't want to just keep doing what I'd been doing because it's what I'd been doing. I wanted to actually choose it again, you mm. know? So, you know, I thought, oh, I'll be, 
The other things I thought of were these things. I thought, oh, I'll be a wandering gypsy and write books. <laughs> or I will, uh, I'll uh, start a dance company and be a choreographer in, you know, uh, that travels all over the world. And the other thing that was kind of intriguing was like being a psychologist or being a therapist or life coach or that kind of a thing. But I mean, when you really think about it, those are all, <laughs> that's all the same stuff <laughs> that I'm kind of doing already. <laughs> It's just with different headlines. And when did you get your first uh, actual job? When I was six. Yeah. I did a commercial uh, was for a toothpaste called Peak Toothpaste, which is no longer around. But it was, uh, yeah. But is the commercial around? Do you have it? Oh, gosh, I don't have it. No. Okay. No, but I think it's pretty sweet. I, I, got to, I danced in front of a mirror with a doll and got to do that thing that I did with my grandpa. <laughs> but do you think your parents... Do you think they did the right thing letting you do that at that young age? Well, I do. I mean, their, you know, their whole thing was, oh, well, you know, I kept begging them and begging them and begging them and, you know, please, please, please. And basically they said, well, we'll let her do, go on 10 auditions. And if she doesn't get anything, we'll ease her out of it and she'll never know the difference. And I got the first thing I went on. And I always loved it. And I had great parents that took good care of my money and didn't even make it about money or about fame. In fact, I think it was so much about the craft of acting, being a professional and really knowing the craft, understanding the craft, that I had to find my own comfort with the idea of, and make my own blueprint, really, for what kind of success I wanted and what I was comfortable with and willing to have and what I didn't want and what I did want and And that's sort of, again, an an ever-changing thing as well. Mm. But I think that it, you know, I think that as a younger person, I think I held off some maybe fame that might have come my way a couple times because of the fear of turning this sort of wonderful artistic endeavor into something else that I wasn't prepared to handle that would have, like, maybe sort of suffocated my kind of growth You know, I think it was Shakespeare that says something about you can't live on top of a hill and represent the masses, something like that in in some play. I can't really remember. I should I should look that up and find out what that is because I have quoted that before and I don't actually know what it's from or what I where I read it, but I it was, you know, and it, it just made such sense to me because I think I always wanted to try to be one of the people. And that was hard because Well, it wasn't hard. It was just something I always was trying to do, but I really was never one of the people in the sense that as a young, as a little girl, I was very kind of of the angels. I was with the angels. So anyway, I don't, I don't think it was bad to let me do it because I, I loved it and it was sort of right for me and I had lots of success and was able to kind of transition between being a kid to an, you know, a teenager to a young adult to an adult. Did you get to lead a, a normal life during that time? I mean, yeah, did you get I did. to do I mean, I did because I still was going back and forth from school. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't so successful. I was working all the time, but I wasn't like famous in the way that I wasn't part of my normal community of kids. So I still went to I went to a public school and I I even went to a private school and I didn't like it. I went back to public school because I liked it better. Because there were more kinds of people, and mm. I've always liked to be around different kinds of people. I don't, I don't like just to be with one type of person. You know, I, I like a whole tapestry of, of all different flavors, 
Mm. I'm not sure that you, you can even say it like this, but how come you didn't end up like Macaulay Culkin, mm-hmm. for instance? Well, first of all, you know, he was much more famous than I was as a kid. That's number one. And I think fame is an extremely difficult thing to navigate. Even as an adult, it's a hard thing to navigate. How? Well, because I think probably a lot of actors would agree with me that at least my experiences as an actor, I'm an interpretive artist. I have to be able to stare at you because that's how I collect my information to be able to play someone like Tammy in Transparent. If I can't watch you and observe you and your mannerisms and your voice and your eye movements and your inflections and your body language, then how, you know, and and so if you're 10 years old and everyone's staring at you, you can't stare at them. And, you know, it makes it really hard to collect what you need to collect, especially as a young artist. So I'm really grateful that I was able to kind of get a ton of on-job experience and work with good directors, bad directors, great directors, good actors, great actors, terrible actors. You know, I learned so much just by virtue of the 10,000-hour thing. You know, I've had so many more than 10,000 hours of what I've done. I've worked for, I don't know, what is that, 40 years. I've been doing the same thing. So, I mean, you know, all different things all the time. But most people change jobs, what, 10 times at least and in that kind of amount of time it's not very many people that can say they've done the same thing for 40 years Mm. i've never had another job so i'm really fortunate that i've gotten to have the job make a living be successful enough that people are interested in hiring me again but not so successful that i'm lost in suddenly the the tables are turned and i can't do what i'm actually what i love to do which is i love to be looked at but I also like to look. And um, I think now, being you know, a grown-up, I can handle it very well. And I, and I, but I had all those years to really garner all of that. I think Macaulay Culkin or someone like that, it's just, he didn't, and he just didn't have the, he had no ability to look outside of himself. Mm-hmm. And that's how you learn everything, you know, when you're that young. And then probably his parents. You know, I don't know his parents, but my parents were because they knew what it was I was doing. They were very able to help me, direct me, hold my hand, be supportive and protect me and teach me that the thing that was most important, especially as a young person, was learning the craft, honing the craft, working hard, getting inside of of the work. And the other stuff, that's kind of a that's kind of stuff you have to figure out on your own, the fame stuff, but boy, I don't envy anyone that has to figure that out at 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. I really don't. I think even in their 20s, that's challenging. So I'm really lucky that for me, my most sort of significant rise in recognition came when I was, you know, in my early 30s, as as that's when it all started for me, like that kind of recognition. Although I was still working all the time, all, th- all up to there. When has it been the most? In what period? Well, I mean, The Office, you know, was huge. And so I still get recognized, you know, pretty much every day by 
that from that. But people have seen, you know, since then, all the other things I've done since then, you know, 17 again and, and 27 dresses and the Hannah Montana movie. And, you know, I've did another series that was short lived here called wedding band, which lived for one season and now transparent, you know, so, but it was interesting the other day, someone said, Oh, we just love you so much on the show. You're so great. And that's sort of something that people say a lot about the office. And I was like, are you talking about the office or transparent? And they said, Oh no, transparent. So I always like that when things shift, like they, you know, people aren't talking about the office so much. Now they're talking about transparent and that's kind of neat. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Who were you in school? How were you? Who were you? You're talking about high school or you're talking about college? I actually wrote uh, high school. Mm -hmm. Do you have a major in high school? We have a different system. No. No. No, you don't. Mm -mm. Okay. So no. high school is sort of, it's the same for everybody? Yeah. You pretty much have to do this, that, and the other thing. I mean, you can you can take electives, what are called electives. You can have... Like baseball? Yeah, like a little more art or a little more literature or a little more, you know. And I think I was always sort of always doing a little more art and a little more literature. <laughs> That's kind of how I was doing it. Yeah, I think I was, you know, I was in and out of school I think in school, I think I had, you know, I had a huge high school that I went to. My graduating class was something like 1,200 kids. You know, it was really big. So, and I wasn't there for my graduation. I was making a movie in Texas, so I didn't even get to do my graduation. But I had friends, a lot of friends that crossed a lot of boundaries. I, I liked my school because it was very diverse. We had lots of African-American kids, lots of Asian kids, lots of Caucasian kids. We had Jewish kids and Christian kids and Catholic kids and Muslim kids. And, you know, like that was really, I really love that. Again, back to that rich tapestry of, you know, human existence. I just, I thrived on that. And um, in fact, when I went back to my 10-year class reunion, there were these like four African-American girls that came in there like, oh my God, we sat next to you, sat behind you in the in math class, you remember us? And they were hitting me and, you know, laughing. And I just thought, oh God, that's so cool that I had, you know, like I miss that, you know, I miss because, you know, as you get older, people kind of, I guess, sort of get into their own little groups. And I just don't have that same crossing of paths with people that are just so outside of my group that I would, that I somehow, you know, my life is navigated towards. And I just, I loved it so much. And I thought, God, that's just rich and wonderful. And they were funny and they were just 
everything about him was so different and so uniquely that time, I guess. So I would say that I, I was pretty, I was, I had lots of friends, you know, I wasn't like a cheerleader. I, I wasn't dating the, you know, football, the head of the football team kind of guy. I, I liked the popular kids. The popular kids liked me, but I was pretty much, I mean, my really close friend in, in high school was, we were just writing songs together all the time. You know, she was an amazing guitar player. In fact, she, she just came and played on my, on my new songs, which oh, was really fun. We hadn't cool. played together. We hadn't done any music together in, you know, many, many years, like really a long time. So that was really fun for us. So yeah, I, I, I think I floated around a lot. I wasn't, I wasn't particularly the, you know, popular preppy kid. I wasn't particularly the, I remember that, you know, at that time, everybody was wearing like Lacoste shirts, polo shirts, penny loafers. And I was really determined that I was going to be unique. So I was a girl wearing all the Laura, Laura Ashley stuff, which was not at that time. That was, you know, this was like 1983, 84, 85 kind of thing. And, you know, that was uh, nobody was wearing that stuff, you know, except me. <laughs> And I loved like bloomers and the long dresses and like the l- big hats. And, you know, I, I really loved that I was had my own style that was different from everybody else. I was kind of accepted, I think. Yeah. Were you good looking? Yeah, I think I was a pretty I was a pretty girl. I had a kind of sweetness to me and a and yet a maturity because, you know, because of my dancing, I was a really serious ballerina. And I think if you'd asked me back then what I was going to do, I would have said that acting was my hobby and that I was going to be a ballerina. So I think that that carriage, just being a ballerina, you really do carry yourself really straight and upright. And, you know, and after school, I was going to dance class every day, every single day. So I wasn't partying with the kids. I wasn't, you know. You didn't have time for boyfriends. Yeah, I mean, I did, but I just did. I just wasn't... Um, I did have a boyfriend in high school, and I did have a boyfriend before that, too, in junior high school that I liked a lot. But I was just very focused, and so I wasn't, I wasn't cr- boy crazy, although I loved, I loved boys, but I just was, I was also very interested in what I was, in, in you know, being a da- really good dancer and, and acting and writing songs and singing, and so... Did you get to go to prom? I did go to prom, yes, yeah. with my boyfriend and my high school boyfriend. Yeah. Okay. Was yeah. it fun? It was fun. Yeah, we had a great time. That's really, really exotic to us in Sweden. Prom? Yeah. Uh-huh. We don't have that. Oh. Is there a big party when people graduate high school? No. Mm-mm. Oh, we get drunk, I guess. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. A lot of people do that at prom, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you, I mean, when you, when you grew up, did your parents have money? No, not at all. Okay. No, and then uh, that was kind of fun because I got to see them grow their money and grow our lifestyle and, you know, go from... But I never felt like we didn't have money. That's the interesting thing. Never. I really didn't feel the difference between when we did and when we didn't have money, except that we had a pool now. You know, yeah. Suddenly there was a pool, but but my experience was just the same. I had very loving parents and a very loving upbringing, and I felt very loved and very well taken care of how did you pay for college i paid for it myself with my money from acting okay Mm -hmm. that's a nice thing i know i know it was really neat really neat what would you say are your best virtues Mm -hmm. that's a hard uh, word for me to say can you say it virtues virtues Mm -hmm. so i don't say it that's very well okay yeah so what what would you say (laughs) are your best virtues as a as an actor 
I think my intuition and my ability to listen. You know, acting is reacting and you can't react unless you've been able to listen deeply. I think I was told that by many directors as a kid. You know, wow, she can really listen. So I think that is really important. And I think that I do that very well. And um, yeah, and I think just in, in intuition. I have a lot of intuition about people. And I always say, you know, acting is the greatest team sport there is because, you know, it's a huge group of people that make any television show, any feature film, any play happen. And so I can really feel people very deeply, you know, when, they, when they're having a hard time personally or having a hard time in the scene. I think I've been told that I'm a generous actor, and I think that's true. I think I give, you know, one of the great things about acting is like giving, you give gifts and then people give gifts back. I think I give a lot of gifts and um, I've worked with actors that really love that and actors that are freaked out by that. (laughs) You know, if you do something that's in the moment that shocks the person and they're prepared for something else, some people don't recognize that as a gift, but of course that is a great gift because you've changed their perspective in the moment while the camera's rolling. The really great actors I've worked with are very acknowledging of that. Even if it's a silent acknowledgement, they, you can feel that that's a really beautiful, amazing give and take that is, you know, sublime in its but, best moments. But are you talking about the improvisation? No, it's not just in improv. That happens in scene work too. Okay. Yeah. But in improv, yes, definitely, for sure. But it also happens in just any scene. But it sort of sounds like you don't have a big ego. I don't think I do. No. No. No, no. I'm I'm not interested in um it being all about me. I'm interested in having a really intensely creative collaboration. I'm always looking for opportunities to be creative. That's my main that's my main jonesings way I get my big hit. That's my drug. If I'm looking for something, if I'm searching for it, something, it's to be creative, collaboratively creative with with whoever. So that's what I'm. That's what my eye is on. I'm, my eye is on like, bring me a cup of coffee, get out of my way. You're stealing my light. <laughs> and I hate working with people that are like that. Yeah, I really hate it. I really despise it. Could you give us some names? <laughs> No, I can't. That would be kind of, uh, I don't like that. That's, you know, karma. It all, whatever goes around comes around. So most people in this business are really lovely and really great and really trying to do the best work they can. But there are the odd assholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I just sort of have made a commitment to myself that I just won't work with them anymore. Okay. You know, if there's an asshole that sort of like, I guess I've realized maybe in my in my maturity that... uh No job is worth getting sick or feeling horrible or going home and crying. And, you know, like, I just won't put up with it. If if I have a director and, and that's an asshole or I have an actor that's an asshole, I just, I think I'm just going to either, you know, I'm going to try to make it better. And uh, if I can't, I'm going to be done with that thing. But have you walked out on, on jobs? I walked out of a scene once when I had a real jerk of a director who was mean to everybody, mean to mean to the crew, and was very mean to me, embarrassed me in a, in a scene in a movie that I did many years ago. And I just said, I'm not going to work like this. And I, 
I left the room and I burst into tears and, you know, the AD came in and, oh, you got to go back in. And, you know, he didn't mean it. And I was like, yeah, I did mean it. He's rude to everybody. He's rude to you. (laughs) I don't like it. And I'm not working that way. And he can come in here and he can talk to me if he wants to. Otherwise, I'm not going to go back in. And he came in and he did. And we we hashed it out. We we fought a little bit and argued a little bit. And he saw it my way, I think, ultimately, and started treating everyone better. I mean, it was a good thing because he started treating me better, but he started treating the whole crew better. That really pissed me off that, that he was treating the crew like that. The crews on movies and television work harder than anybody else. And I just, if you're going to treat them like that, I, I'm going to, I really get, I get enraged by that. So I've done that. And then, you know, there was something not too long ago that I really should have walked out on. <laughs> but it was a great experience because um, ultimately uh, I got fired. So that worked out fine. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> I always, I sort of feel like I, in that particular case, I felt like, um, you know, I, I, I sort of referred, once I went through the anger stage and then the, you know, the pain, the anger, the indignance and injustice of it, I came out the other side with the feeling of, you know, somewhere in my wicked childhood, I must have done something good. And the reason I say that is because I really do feel that I was removed from a very toxic situation and that, you know, my my angels were fluttering around me and they were kind of like, going like knocking their heads against the wall going she doesn't why doesn't she get this why isn't she removing herself from this situation this guy's this is hell this this these people are horrible they're horrible they're they're untalented they're assholes they're you know they're just running this production into the ground why won't she leave and i was just trying to soldier on and be a good professional and be a duck and let the water run off my back and i can just soldier through this and and they were like oh forget it. We can't, we can't, she's not going to get it. We have to remove her. Uh We have to get, you know, we have to just get her fired because if we don't do it, she's going to get sick. You know, like there was some really weird, evil stuff flying around there. And I'm just, I'm really grateful that I did get removed. I'm Um, sorry, which production was this? (laughs) It was a play. It was a play. All right. Yeah. When I do research about you something that you get to talk about a lot is the fact that you didn't get that role in Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, people love to talk about. Yeah, that. I know, and I, I, I don't really care to talk about, it, but I'm happy no, to if you want to. Well, no, I, that wasn't <laughs> you know, the, the idea. My idea was to idea? talk about maybe failure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love failure. I love talking about failure. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great thing to talk about. When did you fail last time? Well, just this this play. But okay. but I don't I actually don't think of it as failure. I think of it as um but I like to talk about it that way because I think that that helps people to connect with me and it's definitely part of my performance piece that I've been talking to you about that I'm creating which at the moment is sort of something, you know, about about sort of some of these things that we're talking about. I also think like every time every breakdown, every breakdown that you have in your life in a relationship or at work or professionally or whatever, is an opportunity. And um, I think that I really do look at that that way. So that instead of aligning yourself with the failure or with the breakdown, you want to learn from it and move through it and figure out where did I go wrong? Like, I actually don't, I know that off that play, for instance, I wasn't fired because I was 
bad at what I do. I didn't even for one minute, you know, you know, think, oh, I, I sucked as an actor. I, I know that's not true. And um, it was just that what was going on, the dynamics that were going on within the, the, the people, the people that were involved, that luckily is of the utmost interest to me. I'm highly curious about my human nature and their human nature and why, how those things interlocked and where I was not coming from my true freedom, but where I was sort of jammed up coming from some old belief system or some idea of what I should be doing rather than feeling into the actual moment of what was really going on and having enough courage and enough, you know, enough presence of mind to, or enough grace or integrity to be able to say, this isn't okay. It's not okay because I can feel that it's not okay. Even if everyone's saying everything that they should be saying, it doesn't feel right and it's not right. And I think that I learned with this play thing, I think I learned, I learned about my own value, valuing my own value. In other words, when I come into a situation, a creative situation, I don't just bring my talent. I bring also my person and I bring, I bring 150% commitment to everything I do always across the board. And there's a lot of value in that. And if it's going to be mistreated or I'm going to be put in a position where I have to fight for enough comfort to be able to bring what I bring, talent and personally, I think I've learned, I think, dear God, please, I hope once and for all that I've learned that that's, I can't do that. And I'm the only one that, that, can, that can really say this isn't going to work for me. And you don't have to understand it. Like, you don't have to get why. I mean, in that particular situation, it was really clear who the asshole was and who who wasn't the asshole. And the asshole wasn't me. That the powers that be decided to align with the asshole and decided to get rid of me. Well, I knew it way before it happened, you know? I mean, I wrote a song about it before I even left to go to start rehearsals. I I wrote a song. It was like I wrote a song about what was to come. And I also felt it in my body. I mean, I said, you know, earlier, I'm very much of a physical creature and I need, and I felt it. My body was, I was having aches and pains and I was having horrible Charlie horses. And, you know, I've done stunts and ridden horses and danced on Broadway eight times a week and never had anything, anything like this at all. I was having like literally like karmic, energetic, you know, like someone going, okay, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good. And my body knew it long before my brain knew it. So. That's so strange because we talk about, well, gut feeling. Yeah. Gut feeling is so super seldom wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I've always said, as I've gotten, as I've gotten older, I say, if you think something's happening, chances are it's happening. It's just, you know, if you think someone's ignoring you, they're ignoring you. If yeah. you think someone is being an asshole to you, they're being an asshole to you. You don't ever, you don't think that stuff unless it's going on, unless it's swirling around you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I know you're a, ni- I know you're a nice guy. If I was sitting here thinking, is he a nice guy? I'm not sure. Maybe he's not a nice guy. I mean, he might not be a very nice guy. Probably chances are you wouldn't, you're not a nice guy, but I don't feel that way. I've, you're really not, you're a nice guy. I can feel that. The point is, is that I don't feel that unless something's really going on to make me feel that, right? 
And I'm not paranoid. I mean, I, I guess if you're paranoid or something, then that doesn't really make sense for everybody. But I think in my case, it's really true. And in most people's cases, it's really true. If you think something's going on, it's going on. <laughs> it's happening. If someone, you think someone's hitting on you, they're hitting on you. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just the way it is. You know, we're energetic. We're animals. That's the other thing. Like, we're animals. You know, we're these very highly intelligent animals, but we're animals. There's all this energy flowing between us all the time that people just like to pretend isn't there, you know, and just, oh, just ignore. No, that's, that's not going on. It's going on 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, all the time. And um, so I'm very sensitive to that. And I, and, I'm, and I work to get more sensitive to that, more sensitive to that. And more, I think I used to think, and maybe that's one of the bad things that came from being a child actor, was that I used to think that I could perform that's in quotes, perform as in, you know, acting, singing, dancing, you know, even just performing as a person, be on, be with it, be, you know, turned on under any circumstances. And it really was after this last sort of blow with the the getting fired from that play that I, that I realized, no, no, I actually cannot perform under any circumstances. I do have needs. There are things, and that really does come from being a child actor because when you're a child actor you're you know you're the kid and so the director says do this and you do that and you know there's there's not really room for collaboration much i mean maybe a little but not much and you learn to do that as time goes on you learn to have your own mind your own thoughts your own ideas you're going to do it your way and you know and if they're not seeing it eye to eye then you collaborate and you try to find the middle ground and but I think I learned that really strongly was just like, you know, I actually, there are things I actually need. Mm. I need to feel safe and I need to feel like I'm not going to get stabbed in the back. And I need to feel like we all have our eye on the same, the, th- the same thing here. And that was one of the great things about Transparent. I really felt like we were all working towards the same goal. I mean, Jill Soloway really held up this idea of she wants to change the world with that show. So for her, that show is not just a show. It's infused with intention and love and compassion and empathy and tolerance and all those things that I talked about earlier. You know, her father, you know, it's, it's a personal story. Her father came out to her and her sister three years ago. And therefore, she was able to lead, be a leader in making sure everyone had their eye on that ball. Yeah. So we were all working towards that goal of making a show that, said all of those things. That's the best working environment that I can be in. You can have personal disagreements with people. You can not like people particularly much or or really connect with them or be like think that they're the greatest thing you ever worked with. But none of that really matters when you're all just working towards the same goal. And that's really all, you know, I just need I need to know that everyone's we're all there to do that. Your creativity. I mean, the fact that you are an actor and a singer-songwriter is the singing and songwriting. Is that because you get to be in control of the whole process more? Yeah, I mean, you know, the singing and songwriting wasn't like a a conscious, oh, I'm going to be a singer-songwriter now. Music has just flowed through me all my life. It's an expression. I think I love it because it's a quick, encapsulated experience. Each song is a, is a it, it encapsulates either a feeling, it, it sort of crystallizes a feeling, or it encapsulates an experience. 
in, in a very, you know, in three minutes, mostly. <laughs> and um, there's something very satisfying about that. There's very little in my life that I can get instant feedback about. But I can about that because I, a song comes through me and I, I know immediately if it's worth pursuing or if it's just something to throw into the bucket. You know, it's, and when it is something to pursue and to finish, it's just highly rewarding to just, you know, be able to have that. It's the same thing that I love about still dancing. You know, I can go into a dance class and I can look in the mirror and I can see that I made that a beautiful line with my body. And I, I did that, you know, that beautiful thing, or I made that cool move and it looked right. And it, you know, it's, it's just sort of a, it's sort of like a way of being self-centered without being self-centered. It's like a very productive way of being, of being all about you in a constructive way. Because, um, yeah, there's nothing masturbatory about it. It's just very, it's got movement to it. It's got... Um, did you say masturbatory? Masturbatory, okay. yes, 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 That's I did. That's a new word for me. Oh, is it? Yeah, uh, but I know you, what you masturbation probably, is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. you probably hear what it means. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. Sorry. That's okay. No, yeah. but my English isn't perfect. Yeah, right. But, well, yeah. it's good to learn new words. Yeah. And that's an important one, so, you yeah. know. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Nobody wants to be masturbatory in their in their creative expression. I think that to me that's just I loathe the thought of that almost more than anything at all if 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 anyone were to say that oof, I would just that would be that would be a difficult one to get over. That would be a hard one if people thought that that what I was doing was I probably shouldn't even put that out there because then somebody will be like, she was masturbatory just to write, try and hurt me, you know, crush me, crush her, crush her down. Your most famous part perhaps is was Jen on The Office. And I sort of would like just to talk about that for one and a half minutes, perhaps. <laughs> sure. But how was that time? You know, it was great. I mean, I it was funny because I went to, I was testing, which is something that you do before you end up getting a pilot for a series. And um, it was the same casting director who was casting The Office. And I had gone in to read for The Office. And it was like, I was literally had come straight from a test. I hadn't had any time with the material. I walked in, I was like looking at it on the way over there in my car as I was driving. And I walked in the room and I did it what I thought she was. And I could feel that the room was, you know, you can feel when people are like, whoa, <laughs> that's pretty great. And I left and I saw the casting director at a test the next day. And I said to her, she saw me out in the hall and I said, oh, you know, I really hope I get, I really want to get this, this, you know, series, this pilot. I really want to get this. Um, maybe I'll get this and, and that because it was a guest star at the time. Maybe I'll get this. And, the, you know, she's like, well, what I really, I don't even care about you getting this. What I really want you to get is the office. And that was pretty amazing because this one was like set up as a pilot that was going to go to series. The Office was just a guest star and um, possible, what they put as guest star, possible recurring character. So I was kind of like, well, yeah, you know. So then I got that. And then, of course, you know, the first season was only six episodes. And then they made me a regular in the second season after they wanted to put me in the some episode, a booze cruise or something episode, and they couldn't because I was working on something else. And they realized we better tie her up or else she's going to be off doing something else. <laughs> so, so it was great. You know, I, 
I think because I've been in the business as long as I have, I, I was sort of the last one to believe that we were a hit. I've been on almost hits many times. I think the office was my 13th pilot that I'd done. And I was very much sort of wary of the idea of it being a big hit. I really didn't believe it. Even we won an Emmy for Best Ensemble. I didn't believe it then. I sort of thought, wow, that's that's nice that we won an Emmy. That's cool that people are liking the show. But then when we won the SAG Award, see, when you win an Emmy for Best Ensemble, the producer takes that home and puts that up on their shelf. But when you win a SAG Award for Best Ensemble, everybody gets a SAG Award. And that SAG Award is made out of bronze, and it's on a marble base. So I'm carrying that around all night long in my you know gown, and I woke up the next morning, and my bicep was absolutely sore. Like it was more, it was more sore than I've ever felt it lifting any weight ever. It was pretty much like lifting a twenty pound weight all night long, carrying yeah. it around like this. Oh my gosh! And that was it. Again, I needed physical proof to make me go. Oh, I guess we're a hit. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the show's a hit. I needed that physical sore feeling in my bicep to that, believe that, it. That you other otherwise only get after a really long masturbatory <laughs> session. <laughs> was I using it? Correctly? Yeah, that was good. No, thank you. I think so. Yeah. Mm. But you still go to castings and stuff, of course. Well, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I get offered things also. So I prefer the, it that way. <laughs> of course you do. Yeah. yeah. But I will. I mean, like the whole thing with Transparent, I I said, no, I'm not going to go in and read for them because they can look at my tape and they can see that, you know, they can decide if they want me. Basically, I'm just one of those people. I'm just like, I'm just a base human in the sense that I just need to know that I'm wanted. If I'm wanted and I know you want me and I'm not just one of the 50,000 people that you think could work then, you know, if I get some sense that I'm actually maybe a little bit important to you, I'll probably come do whatever you want. I'll jump through any hoops. But I but I really don't. I don't want to do that if I'm just there to make your session look good or to, like, show off to some director, look, these are the great actors that I could get to come in. If I know that actually I might really be something special for the part in their mind and they really are really interested in seeing my rendition of it, Sure, I'll come do whatever they want me to do. Yeah. <laughs> Will you direct again? Yes, yes. I actually have a, a book that I have been after for about 15 years, actually. It's been on my radar, and I finally optioned the book, and I optioned the life rights of the guy. It's called The Cowboy and His Elephant, and um, we have a script, and we are right now in the process of uh, trying to get the find the funding and attach some actors and... Uh, Make it happen. I'm hoping maybe maybe even be making it next summer. That's my plan, to okay. be filming it next summer. But that's when you're going to do uh, Transparent. Yes, but that's only, you know, we, we, that's not a lot of time. It okay. didn't it didn't take that much time to do it. So we could we could make a movie and uh, and do Transparent. It's a long we summer. We could do both. Yeah, okay. that's, that's right. That's very good. <laughs> and you must be sort of well off. I mean, with money. Uh-huh. Um, probably not as much as people think. Okay. Probably not as much as people think. All right. You know, I mean, I'm I'm fine. I'm doing fine. Yeah. But but I I you know I mean like I want to I want a Tesla. I really want a Tesla, and I can't afford a Tesla right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I got two kids in private school and got a mortgage, and you have to make choices, right, about what you're where you spend your money and and also when you're when I was when I was on the office and it's a major network and they pay you know, better than something like 
Amazon, you know, and I was on that for, you know, those years that I was on that, then I would say I was doing great. But I haven't been on a series that's been running like that on a major network for a lot of years now. I hope that it comes back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Aren't you in that age that's mm -hmm. really, really hard for women to get roles in? I don't know. That's what people seem to say. I don't know. I don't really like to think that way, even if it's true. I, I don't know that it's true. I don't like that it's true. I don't particularly think that Hollywood is ageist. I think it's, I think it does not tolerate victims. If there's one thing I'm not, I'm not a victim. I absolutely intend to be working my whole life. And I, I feel like there's always something there for me. And if there's times when I have lots and lots of money and times when I don't, that's okay with me. It's not going to ruin my I have a great life and I have a great husband and I have great friends and great kids and so But you haven't got a great car. I don't have a great car. No. No. That's all right now. I don't and I really like cars. I really am a, I'm of the car culture. I have two, you know, my father and my brother are big car people, Porsches and, you know, BMW Z8s and, you know, the whole So yeah, I'd like a Maserati or I'd like a Tesla. I think a Tesla is what I really want, but I love I love the Maserati. I have to say, I like sports cars. Yeah, I like fast cars. I like beautiful cars, and I take good care of my cars. You know, I do. But so you know, I'm, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have another pretty car soon. I am. I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a Tesla. Let's say within the next two years, I will have a Tesla. That's a good thing. I'll email you in two years. Okay. And see how right. it, how it's going. Well, hopefully we're going to see each other before then anyway, because I'm going to, you know, you're going to come see my one, my solo performance show. Yeah, I mm -hmm. will. Yeah. So you're going to, yeah, you'll see me before two we're years. Gonna, we're going to keep we're in gonna touch. We're going to keep in touch. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Are you a feminist? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, sure. Very good. Of course. How could I not be? <laughs> no, I'm, I, I am too. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. my, my husband is too. Yeah. That's great. I think that, uh, I don't see how you could live in 2014 and not be that. Are you related to the singer-songwriter Tim Harden? No, no, but I've been asked that. I am related to John Wesley Harden, who's one of the biggest outlaws of the West. Uh-huh, okay, cool. Killed lots of men. <laughs> what's, what's Harden and what's your ancestry? Well, I think I'm pretty much of a mutt. I okay. have, uh, you know, I mean, I have like, on my mother's side, I have a full-blooded German great-grandparents. So I've like, quite a bit of German and I have some French and then... On my mother, on my father's side, I have you know some Cajun French. I have some American Indian way back. Okay. I have, you know, again some English, some German. Yeah, so I'm just a big, big old mutt. Cool. <laughs> I'm not a thoroughbred. No. <laughs> But I really am. <laughs> Would you like to recommend something? Well, I'd like to recommend that people drink more water than they think they should. And if anyone hasn't read the Tao of Pooh. I would recommend that or Letters to a Young Poet by Rilke. Who do you think I should interview on Varvet? Definitely Jill Soloway would be good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's a good answer. Jill is, she is really awesome. I will say she's really awesome and she's a great interview, interviewee. Have you heard any of her interviews on KCRW or anything? No, I haven't. Yeah, they had her. They had her. They interviewed her at KCRW, and then they had her back again, like oh. within a month, because she was so good. Okay. And fantastic. I think they also love the show. Definitely get Jill. Yeah. I'll tell Jill that we did this, and and I'll I'll recommend that she do it. Fantastic. I'm sure she'll do it. Oh. She's awesome. I would You'll love, love her. 
Yeah. She's smart. She's funny. She's, she's a feminist. <laughs> Who isn't? Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Melora Hardin, such a fantastic person. We actually uh, stopped right after the interview uh, with our cars just outside the hotel area. And I uh, went into her car and she let me listen to her new single. And uh, we'll share that with you in just a few seconds. So that's going to be the last thing that you hear from Varvet International in 2014. We'll be back next year. It's been a blast so far. Thank you so much for all correspondence. Thank you for all the tweets and mails and so forth. If you'd like to keep up with us, it's VarvetPod on Instagram and Twitter. And we do have an email address as well. It's pod at varvetpod.com. And if you'd like to uh, keep up with Melora Hardin, that's not uh, hard either. You can follow her on Twitter, Instagram, and she has a website called melora.com. Now, thank you all for making this possible. I'd like to thank my producer, Christina Jollingbiro, my editor, Lovisa Olsson, and uh, also the theme song producer, Maria Marcus. Thanks for this year. Now, this is Melora Hardin with Smile. Not picture perfect, tied with a bow. We learn a lot, then we forgot and gotta re-remember all that we know. So grab the moment, goes quickly done, and for you know it will all be old. The world keeps spinning if you lose or win it, so just keep on tracking right down the road and smile. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.